All right, so if you wouldn't mind opening up your Bibles to Psalm 119, uh, we're, we're nearing the end of this saga through Psalm 119. We're going to be looking at verses 97 through 136. This is part five, what I hope to be a, a six-part series. I think we'll finish up Psalm 119 next week, Lord willing. So we're just jumping back into there, okay, and into Psalm 119. We've had a couple of weeks off. Hugo shared a couple of weeks ago. I shared a special, special message last week, and I would really encourage you, if you weren't here last week, um, if, if you um, just didn't, hasn't, haven't gotten a chance to listen to it, I encourage you to listen to it. Um, and that's not for me trying to be self-promoting. Um, I don't get any more money or anything if you listen. <laughs> uh, but I really felt strongly of what the Lord had um, put on my heart for what I shared last week. And, and uh, I think you can just um, know what, what my heart is for this fellowship, uh, what my heart is for ministry, what I believe that God's doing in the world, that he's, re- he's revealed to us, why things are the way that they are. And so I just really encourage you because there's a lot of confusing things going on in this world. There's a lot of ungodly voices talking, and so I'd encourage you to, to take some time. And again, as always, and as I said at the beginning of the message last week, always be a Berean. Uh, I'm not saying listen to me or believe me because I'm saying it. I'm seeking to be led by the Spirit and to tell you the truth, but you always need to compare what I say with the Word of God and to see if I'm telling you the truth or not. Okay, so as we jump back into Psalm 119, it's all about the Word of God the word of God that was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so what we're gonna see in this section is what we've been seeing, the centrality of obedience to the word of God in the life of a believer. And that's really important because when people have ideas about what it means to be a Christian, there's all kinds of things that come up. You know, well, being a Christian means wearing this sort of clothes, or being a Christian means listening to this sort of music, or being a Christian means this or that. Really, if you wanna boil it down to what does it mean to be a believer, it means a person who's obedient to the word of God. That's really what it is. A person who's obedient to the word of God, I guarantee you, from a spiritual standpoint, your life's gonna get better. Now, from a material standpoint, maybe not. From a friendship standpoint, maybe not. There's a lot of things that it's gonna cost us to walk in obedience. Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. But what I can tell you is that if you live a life in obedience to the word of God, you'll live a life of value you'll live a life of, of import. So let's jump in, Psalm 119, we're picking up in this first section, of verses 97 through 104. I'm not gonna say the Hebrew letter anymore because I was convicted during my study of like, I don't really know how these are pronounced. <laughs> and so I, I, there's a Hebrew letter there, you guys can try to pronounce it on your own in your own timing. Uh, verse 97, we read, Oh, how I love your law, it is my meditation all the day. I love that. So how I love your law, it's my meditation. This word meditation, it means to uh, reflection. And like not reflection in the sense of, you know, you you go to a pond and you see yourself there. Not that kind of reflection, but it means thinking about it, reflecting upon. It also means musing, you know, just considering. Uh, it's, It's the idea of it's the concern of one's thoughts, that's what we have here in meditation. And so, so please hear me. We think about what we love. We think about what we love. If we love barbecue, we think about barbecue. <laughs> right? If we love a sports team, we think about that sports team. I, to, to have a little higher example, I think about a mother with her newborn. A mother with her newborn, she meditates on her newborn. She thinks about her newborn and what does need to be changed? Does Danny go check on him and got the monitor and the video and all of these things? meditating on. 
And so I want to encourage you because it's, it's really cyclical. If you kind of think about love and what you think about, you, you love the things that you think about and you think about the things you love. And it goes over and over and over again. It, it, it builds on it. So the more that we think about and invest in the word of God, the more we'll love it. That's vital. So if you find yourself today, you're kind of grown cold in the word of God. You're not really loving it as you should. Most likely what's happening is you're not investing time into it. Love, love is always a, f- a function of time. If you love a person, you'll spend time with them. If you love a hobby, you'll spend time in that hobby. So there's no getting around this. Our, our lives as believers, it can't be a Sunday morning thing. It can't be, I checked the box, I went on Sunday morning, I heard the word taught to me, and that's going to be enough. It has to be you taking the time. And so I want to remind you of, of what we read back in Psalm 1. So would you turn to Psalm 1 for just a moment? I want to look at Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3. Just an excellent exhortation here. Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3 says blessed, right? And so this is a beatitude, just like Jesus had the beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount. There's a blessing here, right? And the, the word, I don't, I don't actually remember what the Hebrew word is. I know the Greek word really me- speaks of happiness, okay? That there's a happiness associated with it, but there's, there's a blessing associated with the man, and again, this is general, could be man or woman, who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Okay, so there's a blessing for not doing the wrong, but we can't stop there. We can't just be like, well, just say no. Well, what are we gonna say yes to? And so this, you don't do those things, but here it is, look at verses two and three, but his delight, okay, right, or her delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. So, so there's a blessing that comes when we shun the evil, but how do we shun the evil? Because we've made the word of God our delight. We're delighting in the word of God, and, and, and we meditate on it day and night. So this, this word meditation, again, it's, it's, it's thinking about, it's pondering to yourself, it's considering, it's, it's chewing on that. And then, but, you know, in the words of the infomercial, but wait, there's more. Look at verse three. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. That's an incredible blessing for you and for me, a promise for you and for me, that if we're people who meditate on the word day and night, we're the people who love the word of God, that we're thinking about the word of God, we're obeying the word of God, then there's a promise here that spiritually speaking, we're gonna be these trees planted by the rivers of water. We're gonna be fruitful. Well, who doesn't want that, right? And, and so it's funny, growing up in South Texas, we had something called mesquite trees. Here we have mesquite bushes. <laughs> when I first moved to Midland, I saw these things and they were like faintly familiar because they had the same like leaves and branches as a mesquite tree, but they were diminutive. Little babies, why? Because they couldn't get enough water out here. But when I grew up in South Texas, we get lots of rain usually, and so these mesquite trees are big. And so we think about it, it's the same species, but depending upon the nutrients going into it, it's different. So if you're a believer who's depriving yourself of the word of God, you may be a mesquite bush instead of a mesquite tree. But the, the, th- the answer is not your circumstance. The answer is not your situation. The answer is getting into the word. 
because it's available for all. God wants you to grow. God wants you to be fruitful. God wants you to be a wonderful tree, bearing fruit, providing shade for others. But it's up to you and I to actively participate in this. So with this in mind, would you turn back to Psalm 119? Now, as we continue on, you might say, well, Steve's pretty exhortative and he's just kind of a jerk. I'm exhorting you because I love you. And please understand that every exhortation I'm giving to you, I'm giving to me. This is a, this is a standard I want to hold myself to. I want nothing more than for each of you to have a greater weight of glory in heaven than I do. I, I want to put you in a position, as much as I'm able, right, just one man, as much as I'm able to help you achieve that, is, that, that great weight of glory. And so if it takes me being exhortative to do that, I'm, I'm going to do that. Let's look at verses 98 through 100 here. It says, you, through your commandments, make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients because I keep your precepts. It's pretty funny. I kind of wonder, how did I ever learn how to do anything before YouTube? You know, now to do anything, I'm just, well, there's a YouTube video that will tell me how to do it. Whatever it is, resetting that light, you know, the, on your car that's, um, you need to change your oil, and how do I reset that light? Well, let me go to YouTube and find that out. But, you know, when it comes to the true things, the things of great importance, if we want wisdom, we want understanding, then the word of God gives it to us. So we see here in verses 98 through 100 that knowing and obeying the word of God will make you a truly wise person. And so at the end of your life, if you want to be a person who, that people can say, man, that was a truly wise person. They had wisdom. They had wisdom to share with me. How can you go about that? It's by going to the word of God. And so it's this beautiful answer for us that we know how we can become wise. I love the exhortation in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 5. It says this, get wisdom, exclamation point, get understanding, exclamation point. Get wisdom, get understanding, and so run, don't walk toward that. So I'd encourage you, because here's the incredible blessing for your life and for those around you. When you're a person who's wise, God is gonna put you in situations to share that wisdom with others. You get to pour into other people's lives. And so you get to be equipped to help people. This world is confusing. This, this world is it's just, we don't know where to turn, where to go. People are, are tossed about by every wind of doctrine. So for you and I to be solid people, grounded in the word of God, we're gonna be able to help people. And that's a wonderful thing. Let's look at Psalm 101 and uh, 102 here. It says, I have restrained my feet from every evil way that I may keep your word. I have not departed from your judgments for you yourself have taught me. Okay. So dedication to the word of God keeps us from participating in evil, right? It's, it's not enough to just say, well, I'm not going to do the right thing and kind of be in a neutral position because this world is very alluring and our, our, the world, the flesh, and the devil team up. And so what do we need to do? We need to say, I, I need to dedicate myself to the word of God, dedicate myself to obeying the word of God because what happens, you guys know the old saying, right? Idle hands are the devil's workplace, or I have idle hands of the devil's workshop, or however you heard it. But it's this idea that if we just give ourselves a void, an emptiness, we're not pursuing the Lord, we're just kind of in a quote-unquote neutral position, we have to remember our bodies aren't neutral. 
our spirits aren't neutral. We're fleshly. This world is fleshly. And so we're going to be pulled toward that. So instead, actively participate, actively work against the world system by studying the word of God. And so when we commit to obeying God in the power of the Holy Spirit, please hear me, you will walk in freedom. Have you noticed how the scripture clearly teaches that if you walk in obedience, there's freedom, right? Jesus said, whoever the son sets free will be free indeed. What does Satan tell you? That if you obey the word of God, it's bondage. Ah, oh, it's just legalism and you're going to be held back and, you know, you need, to, you need to just kind of do what you want. You need to look out for number one. That's where freedom is. Jesus was the freest person who ever lived and he said, I always do those things that please him, please the father. So it's important for you and I to, we need to really kind of have a different mental outlook to say actually walking in obedience and service to God, that's where true freedom lies. And, and I can say this because I understand it. I was an unbeliever until I was about 22 years old. I, I walked in my own way and it was bondage. And I never knew true freedom until I became a believer. But here's a question for you and I to ask when we're thinking about this. Just in the, the quietness of your heart, ask yourself this question. Am I a master or am I a servant? Am I a master or am I a servant? Because if we say that we're masters, then we're just fooling ourselves. We're, we're, we're just deceiving ourselves. We're called to be servants. Servants of the triune God. But here's the deal. When we walk um, as servants to the triune God, then we find that freedom. Let me give you a, a, a verse, and, and let's not water it down. Let's just, just take it for what it is. This is what it says. Paul writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Galatians 5.16. Galatians 5.16, this is what Paul says. Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Notice it doesn't say you won't have the lust of the flesh. Right? As long as we're in these bodies, we're going to have fallen desires. We're going to have lustful desires for wrong. But Paul says if we walk in the Spirit, that word walk there, it means like a, a manner of life. It speaks about like an obedience. So in other words, when we walk in obedience to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the master and we're his servant, then what's going to happen will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I, I was reading a book on, uh, called um, Friendship with the Holy Spirit this week. Um, awesome book. I might talk a little bit more about it later. I would highly suggest it. It's a short read. Um, but this is one of the, the illustrations he gave for the Holy Spirit. Because in Christian circles, sometimes we can view the Holy Spirit as not a person, just a power. You know, we need to get a hold of the power of the Holy Spirit to kind of do what we want to do. Or um, we view him as a kind of like somebody who, who we give a laundry list to and he can kind of go take care of that. But what he says is that the Holy Spirit in this book, that the Holy Spirit is the master and we're the servant. And he says, though, it's an active participation, kind of like this. If you've ever been in a situation where you were driving and someone was giving you directions there in the passenger seat, if you trusted that person, you obeyed what they had to say, right? If they said, turn right here, then you turned right there. Now, if you don't trust that person, it probably didn't go well. But if you trust that person, you'll listen. And so this is what he compared it to. The Holy Spirit is there in the passenger seat, and he's wanting to give us, you know, turn-by-turn -turn directions. But here's what we want. We want the Holy Spirit to just be in the driver's seat, and we want to take a nap in the passenger seat. But that's not how God works. It's not, it's not God doesn't want to just say, let me just do everything, and you sit over there, because you don't grow like that. You don't grow in faith like that. You don't grow in maturity like that. You don't grow in character like that. Nobody's grown in character through being in a coma. 
what happens is the Holy Spirit wants to actively work in your life, actively work in my life to make that Christian character, to grow that, do those things. But we actually have to be willing to say, I'm going to listen to your directions. So how does this tie into what we're saying in Psalm 119? Well, we have to remember who inspired Psalm 119. Well, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit inspired the word of God, and so he'll lead you to walk in obedience to the word of God. And as you and I do that, we're going to find a newness of life. Let's continue on, verses 103 and 104. Psalmist says, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey in my mouth, or to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Okay, we have a couple things here. The sweetness of the word of God and the hating of every false way. So the sweetness of the truth of God's word causes the false to taste bitter. Okay, so the sweetness of the word of God causes the false to taste bitter. Now, I'm going to give you an illustration. Uh, My parents taught the same high school for 41 years. Okay, there's quite a commitment. The only job they ever had as adults (laughs) was working at that school. And so growing up, I went to a lot of graduation parties. And at these graduation parties, you know, there in in South Texas, a a lot of times, because our school was red and white, um, we would have these store-bought cakes with that red icing. You guys seen that before? And, you know, when I was a kid, I'll just eat it. It's cake. Right, I just ate this stuff as a kid, but when I got a little bit older and I kind of got around some cakes that tasted a little better, I got around some homemade cakes and I realized I could never go back to the store-bought anymore. I could never go back to that icing that there's nothing in nature that looks that color. I, I could never do that again. And I believe that that's how it is with the word of God. That before we became believers, before we knew the word of God, just kind of all kinds of garbage were taken in and, oh, it tastes good. I know it makes my stomach hurt afterwards, but, you know, it's so good. And then we get to the word of God and we know the sweetness of the word of God and then we go back to those old things and say, that doesn't taste good anymore. That doesn't have anything for me anymore. That doesn't give life to me anymore. I believe that's what it's saying here. And so the best way to lose the taste of the world is to feast deeply on the word of God and the more that you intake the word of God then what happens God will work in your life will work in my life so these things that are not of him just don't have the same appeal that they used to all right let's move into our next section that's verses 105 through 112 says your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path you know, this is uh, one of the first verses I ever memorized, <clears throat> real common verse about the word of God, and it's pretty simple, right? The word of God illuminates the proper path. Well, why do we need illumination? Why do we need that? It's because the world is dark, because the world's disobedient, because, uh, so, so we need light in this world. And if you and I just trust ourselves, if you and I say, well, I'm just going to figure it out, then what's going to happen is, is we're going to be really confused, Instead, we need to submit ourselves to the word of God and realize that it shows us the way. So the word, the word of God shows us which way we should go. And it's, it's interesting because, you know, the more that you know the word of God, then what's going to happen is, is you know the way for yourself. But again, tying back to what I said earlier, you know the way for other people. You can help give them wisdom. You can help give them guidance. You know, I've, I've promoted uh, Mike Winger a number of times on the show, and he has his, his weekly show um, uh, during studies. He has a weekly show on Fridays of 20 questions. 
And I like to listen to him. He's got a lot of wisdom. But one of the things that I like to do as I'm listening is I hear the question and I think really quickly, how would I answer this? How would I do that? And see if it kind of matches up with him. And so why I like to do that is because I, I have studied the word God quite a bit. I need to study it a bunch more. But as I study it, then it helps me to have wisdom. And it, it's such a wonderful thing. I want to encourage you. It's a wonderful thing when people come to you and they need wisdom and they need understanding and they need help. And you can offer to them biblical principles, biblical counsel, biblical wisdom. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. It, it's, it's, it's a joy. Now, continuing on, verse 106 says, I have sworn and confirmed that, y- that I will keep your righteous judgments. Okay. So notice here, we don't obey the word of God by accident. We don't stumble into obeying the word of God. What we see here is he says, I have sworn and confirmed that I will keep your righteous judgments. In other words, he's made a commitment. So you and I, we must make a commitment to obey the Holy Spirit um, as to obey the word of God empowered by the Holy Spirit. So the, the problem, um, you know, with, with us when we sing songs before service is it makes liars out of us, right? We sing a lot of songs that we're going to commit to do these things, and then we go out there and, and we don't do it, right? There's a disconnect. Well, how can we do that? How can we, how can we sing songs? How can we read the word and commit to those things? Well, we need power. We need the Holy Spirit to empower us. We, we need his uh, gifting and, and his guidance and his wisdom. As you and I look at ourselves, let's be honest, we can't do it, right? We're weak, we're small, but the Holy Spirit is infinite. He's infinite God, and so he can empower us to do this. So on our side, what is our side? Our side is to make a commitment to do this and then to ask the Holy Spirit, hey, help me, would you please empower me to fulfill this commitment? Would you empower me to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Would you empower me to love the Lord with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love my neighbor as myself? Those sort of things, it's possible. He can help us do that. Verses 107 through 110, we're gonna see a couple of things in these verses. It says, I am afflicted very much. Revive me, O Lord, according to your word. Accept, I pray, the freewill offerings of my mouth, O Lord, and teach me your judgments. My life is continually in my hand, yet I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, yet I have not strayed from your precepts. Okay, so a couple of things I want you to notice here, if you would. Number one, obeying the word of God does not exempt us from dangers and difficulties. Obeying the word of God does not exempt us from dangers and difficulties. And this is something I have to tell myself daily because I have this false transactional idea of God. If I do enough right things, things will work out the way I want them to. That's not, the scripture never tells us that. It tells us it'll work things out eventually, right, and the end goal, but it doesn't say on my day-to-day it's gonna work out the way that I want it to. So please understand that. You walk in obedience to the word of God does not exempt you from dangers and difficulties. Paul told us this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. He said, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And so just look through your Bible and you'll see people who sought to obey the word of God caused them trouble so often. In fact, the first person killed on planet Earth was murdered by his brother because he, because you know, Cain, who, who was the murderer, didn't obey God, and Abel, who was the victim of murder, obeyed God. So the, the, this guy's being faithful to do what God told him to do, and his brother killed him for it. 
So it kind of sets the stage that this is how it is in human history. That, that um, as we obey the word of God, it's not a get out of jail free card. Now the second thing I want you to notice from verses 107 through 110 is simply this. We are to keep obeying the word of God in spite of those dangers and difficulties. We're to keep obeying the word of God in spite of dangers and difficulties. And that's what we see here, right? He says, you know, my life is continually in my hand, yet I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, yet I have not strayed from your precepts. So just keep on obeying the word of God. If at the end of your life, all that anybody can, you know, the, the, the central thing they say about you is like, well, I don't know exactly what all kind of fruit they had in their life. I don't know what happened. But here's what I do know. They were a person who tried to obey the word of God. That's good, Right? If, if, if that's on your tombstone, that is enough. Let's look at verses 111 and 112 here. Your testimonies I have taken as a heritage forever, for they are re- the rejoicing of my heart. I've inclined my heart to perform your statutes forever to the very end. So notice in verses 111 and 112, we have this word forever both times. In other words, the psalmist is making a, a, a commitment to the word of God. He's not saying, well, I'm going to obey you and kind of try this out. Um, it's not like, you know, how we are. We, we do this. It, January rolls around and, oh, New Year's, you know, a New Year's resolution, a new commitment. And let, let's, let's, let's try to, uh, you know, get a, a health club membership for the 75th time. And, and let, you know, let, let's do that. It's, it's not like this. He says, no, this is my commitment. I'm committed to your word of God for always. There's, there's nothing. It's kind of like in, in poker terms. I'm putting all my chips in the middle of the table. I'm all in with the word of God. And so also I want you to notice here in verses 111 and 112, these action words. Notice, I have taken, I have inclined my heart to perform your statutes. So it's a reminder that obedience requires active participation. Obedience requires active participation. It's an active choice. So surrender to the word of God is actually active, not passive. So we think about surrender as being a passive thing, as giving up, but it's actually an active choice because surrender to the word of God, surrender to the triune God is saying, I give up my own will, but I want to do whatever you tell me to do. Well, walking in obedience is active, right? Listening for the Holy Spirit to to lead you and guide you through his word is, is active, So I'd encourage you that the Christian life is an adventure, it's an excitement, it's a walk, it's a run, it's all of these things, but it is active, it's not passive. Continuing on in verses uh, 113 through 120, I'm actually going to read this entire section. It all kind of has this same type of idea. It says, I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. You are my hiding place and my shield, I hope in your word. Depart from me, you evildoers, for I will keep the commandments of my God. Uphold me according to your word that I may live, and, I do, n- and do not let me be ashamed of my hope. Hold me up, and I shall be safe, and I shall observe your statutes continually. You reject all those who stray from your statutes, for their deceit is falsehood. You put away all the wicked of the earth like dross, therefore I love your testimonies. My flesh trembles for fear of you, and I am afraid of your judgments. Okay, so, so two big ideas here in this section. The first idea is those who obey God and fear him will be hidden in him. 
So those who obey God and fear him will be hidden in him. What does it mean to be hidden in him? Well, the scriptures say that we're hidden in Christ right now. Okay? Well, what does that mean? Again, it doesn't mean that we're exempted from every danger and difficulty. It doesn't mean we're exempted from every hardship. What it means is that, you know, as we saw in the Psalms, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them from them all. That whatever we're going through, God's going to, in one day, deliver us from that. And if he allows us to be, you know, he's going to allow us, apart from the rapture, to, to die in some way or to be killed in some way, then that will be the ultimate deliverance. So please understand that if you're a born-again believer, you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption, you're hidden in Christ. So you can walk in freedom. You can say, I want to be led by the Spirit today. I want to walk in obedience to the Word of God. You can do that knowing that God's in control, knowing that I can walk in freedom. And if this is my last day, then let's do it. My dad called me the other night, and we were talking about some things, and he talked about how he'd heard on the news, and I don't know if there's some kind of comet heading our way, or I, I don't know. You're, you're like, oh, i got to look at this now. Okay, let's not do that right now. And I just told my dad, as I said, you know, apart from the rapture, I'm going to heaven somehow. So if God wants to do it by plane, train, automobile, comet, cancer, whatever, that, that I know where I'm going, right? And so every believer We know where we're going so we can have that freedom knowing we're hidden in him. Now, on the flip side of all that in verses 113 through 120 is this, that those who disobey God and do not fear him will be removed from him in judgment. Okay, so this is clear. This is a vital truth that all who submit to God through Jesus Christ will be saved, hidden in him. All those who refuse the God of the Bible are under judgment. It's important for us as Christians to be certain about the things that the Bible is certain about. The Bible is certain that anyone who refuses the triune God is under judgment. That's the reality. And so for us, the best thing we can do for the unbelievers in our life is pray for them and share truth with them. And, and not to try to say, well, I want to be nice, and I don't want to, no, 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 no. Just love people. And now maybe they're not in a place today to hear you. Maybe they're not in a place today to, to be witnessed to by you. Well, you know who? You, you can pray to God and ask God to intervene. God's big enough to intervene in their lives. Let's move on now, verses 121 through 128. Let's look at 121 and 122. It says, I have done justice and righteousness. Do not leave me to my oppressors. Be surety for your servant for good. Do not let the proud oppress me. Okay, so the psalmist says, I've served you, God, and, I, and I'm asking for your help. Okay, I'm your servant. Would you please help me? This is reasonable. This is absolutely reasonable. If you're a believer, then call on God to help you. God is your father, right? And so ask him for help. God is your master and you're his servant. Ask him for help. Absolutely, ask him for help. But here comes the but. But don't forget that the Lord has long-range goals in mind. Don't forget that the Lord wants more for you than you could possibly want for you. That the the Lord's desires, and and I don't know if it's right to say that the Lord has dreams for you. I don't know how that kind of works. But what I'm saying is God's desire for you, let's put it that way. God's desire for you is far greater than you can ever imagine. It's beyond what you can even ask or think. And so I would encourage you um, to go back sometime and to reread the story of Joseph. 
we've been in through my seventh grade Bible class at school. We've been going back through the, the book of Joseph, uh, Joseph as we're finishing up the book of Genesis in that class. And, and it's so inspiring every time. But you know, we, we kind of, um, we're kind of jaded about the story maybe because we know the ending and we don't really feel it. We don't feel that there's this teenage boy who, who God has given him these dreams and he naively, I believe naively, tells his brothers all about it and his brothers aren't too happy about it. And we kind of lose the pathos about how his brothers took him and threw him in a pit and he was crying out and they sat down and had lunch while he's crying in that pit. And then they were like, you know what? We shouldn't kill our brother. Let's go ahead and just sell him into slavery. You know, make some money off the deal. Plus, we're not gonna kill him. Somebody else will. We're gonna go home and lie to dad and, and pretend like a, a wild beast killed him. And then Joseph going to Potiphar's household and being sexually tempted as, as the woman of the household wants to sl- sleep with him and he obeys God and, and he's repaid by false accusations of sexual assault, goes into jail faithful in jail and then what happens is he you know he tells the dreams of these couple of guys and the one the guy that gets out forgets about him and so we think about this and we do the math he goes into slavery at 17 and he goes to the uh, uh, pharaoh's house at 30 so 13 years of being faithful and the lord being with him but being mistreated be in a difficult situation. And so I would encourage you to go back and sit down, kind of marinate, if you will, in that story and realize that's a microcosm of what God's doing in our lives. It'll look different. Nobody's Joseph except Joseph. But you look at how God worked in Jeremiah's life or you look at how God worked in Esther's life or you look how God worked in Ruth's life or you look how God worked in Paul's life and John's life and you see There are these similarities here that God has a good end in mind. No matter what we're going through right now, please hear me. God has a good end in mind for you. Our job is to trust him. Let's continue on, verses 123 and 125. It says, my eyes fail from seeking your salvation and your righteous word. Deal with your servant according to your mercy and teach me your statutes. I am your servant, give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. Uh, and so, um, you know, he's, he needed some readers, right? His, his eyes are failing from studying the word of God. So I, what I take from these verses is studying the word of God can be hard work, right? You're reading, you're committed to, you know, reading the, the Bible all straight through, and then what happens, you get to Leviticus. <laughs> all right, Lord, <laughs> You know, you put on your coveralls and you're getting in there and you're going to read through it. And so, so some of it's going to be hard work as we're reading through the word of God. But, you know, that's like mining for gold. Think about how, how hard people will work to get gold out of the ground. And so for you and I, if sometimes in the word of God and, or the situation we're in, the circumstance, it's hard work to get into the word of God, there's no reason to quit on it. Get in there. Ask the Holy Spirit to, to, to help you to see beautiful things from his word. And I think he'll do it. And so, so really ask God for help in understanding his word. I'm going to give you a, a, a verse from Luke 24. It's Luke 24, verse 45. I would encourage you to, to make it into a prayer. So what's happening in Luke 24, verse 45, Jesus has risen from the dead, and, and it says this, that Jesus opened their understanding, that's the disciples, Jesus opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. So maybe you're struggling as you're trying to w- read the word of God, and it's just not making sense to you. Make this a prayer. Say, Jesus, would you open my understanding that I could comprehend the scriptures? 
would you help me to see wonderful things in your word? And, and so I, I believe he'll answer that prayer. Continuing on, verses 126 through 128 says, uh, It is time for you to act, O Lord, for they have regarded your law as void. Therefore, I love your commandments more than gold, yes, than fine gold. Therefore, all your precepts concerning all things I consider to be right. I hate every false way. And so um, the, the psalmist is a little forward there in verse 126, right? It's time for you to act, O oh Lord. <laughs> Let's get to it. Um, the psalmist wants God to act. I understand, okay? And we've all said this. You know, if you're a believer for any length of time, you've had some strong words with the Lord, all right? You, you've, you've uh, let me not say you, me. I've forgotten my place, right? I've said some things to the Lord that the Lord in his grace has, has taken or tolerated, if you will. But that's how it's gonna be right? We're going to go through some hard things. We're limited. We're fallen. But you know, the, the, Lord's, the Lord's big enough. The scripture says, you know, to, to pour out your complaint to the Lord. Cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. He's big enough to take that. And so the psalmist here, notice though, in the midst of this, he wants God to act. He's, he's having a difficult time because people aren't obeying, but you know what he's doing? He's still obeying in the midst of these unbelievers, He's still obeying the Lord in the midst of unbelievers. He's not doing what the, you know, the church in the West has done for, for decades now. Well, the culture's changing. Why don't we just change? The culture says that this is okay now. Well, let's just say it's okay now. He's not doing that. He's, he's frustrated. He's upset. He's wrestling. But he's saying, I'm going to keep doing what God says no matter what. I would encourage you to do that. And so the application for us here, I believe, in these verses is we can't wait for circumstances to change before we'll obey God's word. We can't wait for revival to happen in America and that it becomes acceptable to live out our faith and say, okay, well, now I'll start doing it. What we need to be is believers who choose to obey even if we're the only one. If you woke up tomorrow and every person on planet Earth had departed from Christ, you still be willing to follow Christ. I love what Pastor Chuck said, and it was a little tongue-in-cheek, but he said, you and God make a majority. <laughs> and it's true, right? God on his own makes a majority. Uh, but you understand what he was saying. And, and so this is so wonderful for us because I believe that God wants to bring revival. I believe that God wants to revive individual hearts. I believe that God wants to revive communities, but it's not gonna happen until believers serve God. They're, they're in line with him, that they're submitted to the Holy Spirit, that they're letting go of sin so that he might do the work he wants to do. Continue on in verses 129 through 136. So this final section, well, let's look at verses 129 through 131. First of all, it says, Your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. The entrance of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. I opened my mouth and panted, for I longed for your commandments. So if we truly believe that the word of God is valuable, then we will obey it and desire more of it. Right? It's, you know, just like a restaurant that you really like, and you know, every time you go, you just really enjoy a meal there, then you find your, your mind drifting back to that restaurant. You know, Friday rolls around, and eh, why don't we go over there? Right, you understand that because it's valuable to you, because it refreshes you, because you enjoy it. That's what will happen with the word of God. We'll keep coming back to it. Verses 132 through 135 
says, look upon me and be merciful to me as your custom is toward those who love your name. Direct my steps by your word. Let no iniquity have dominion over me. Redeem me from the oppression of man that I may keep your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. Now, this is the opposite of self-help, right? This is not self-help. If you kind of look in culture, there's a lot of like, you know, self-help books or bestsellers and there's a lot of kind of like self-help. And and even within Christianity, there's a lot of Christian books that are essentially self-help books with kind of the veneer of Christianity on top. This is not this. This is asking God for help. This is not self-help. This is God help. Right? I, I need God to help me. I, I need you to be the one. So notice that. That's what he's saying. He's saying here, like I, I love verse uh, 133 when he says, direct my steps by your word. Help me to, to intake your word and then I'll walk in that way. Then in the end of verse 135, teach me your statutes. So the central theme here is that the psalmist wants help to do God's will and the psalmist doesn't want help to do his will. So that's, that's vitally important. The psalmist says, would you help me do your will, not would you help me get what I want done? And I think that's, that's a danger for me, I know, is, is the, the God's agenda and my agenda. What, you know, do I just kind of find God as a resource to help me get my will done, or am I willing to do what he wants done? All right, let's look at verse 136, our last verse for today. It's a little bit of a bummer note to end on, but he says, rivers of water run down from my eyes because men do not keep your law. Notice, and this is a little aside, and I'm, I'm teaching my seventh graders about this, but there's, there's a lot of crying in the Bible, <laughs> and there's a lot of crying by men in the Bible. You know, if you go back and read Joseph's story this week, you'll see Joseph cried on numerous occasions. So we want to remind ourselves that, that crying is not something that's negative. Crying is not something that's, that's bad. Um, it, the scriptures talk about how God keeps our tears in a bottle, that, that it's something valuable. But what we see here is why is the psalmist crying? It's because of disobedience of men. This is a proper response to disobedience. You know, but we're, we're so um, kind of you know, immersed in the culture that a lot of times our first response to disobedience is laughter. We laugh about disobedience. But in reality, if we begin to think about what disobedience does to a person and how it, you know, it, it deforms them spiritually, how it, it takes them further and further away from God, then disobedience is, is something worth crying about. And I, I want to remind you that, that every sin has negative effects on three levels. Every sin that's committed has negative effects on three levels. Number one, every sin affects God. Every sin is ultimately against God. And, and so that, that's something to, to be sad about. Second thing is every sin affects ourselves. So what I'm trying to dispel is this kind of idea of like a victimless crime. Oh, this thing doesn't affect me. No, every sin affects God, every sin affects self, and then every sin affects others. Every sin affects those that you come into contact with, those you interact with. When you and I walk in unrepentant sin, we're negatively affecting those around us because we're not able to minister to them in the way that we could. And so kind of one last place I want to have you turn, or maybe this is the only place I've had you turn today, uh, is Matthew chapter 23. So would you turn to Matthew chapter 23, I want to look at and see how sin affected 
the Lord Jesus. We're going to see a tie-in here that uh, disobedience um, caused emotional distress for the Lord Jesus. So I want to look at Matthew 23, verses 37 through 39. This is the, the last week of Jesus' public ministry. It's the week of his crucifixion. And I, I think it's one of the most powerful pictures in all of the scripture about how God feels about sin and about how God feels about unrepentant sinners. Notice what he says to Jerusalem. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house has left you desolate, for I say to you, you shall be you shall see me no more till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so this, as Jesus is, I believe, weeping over Jerusalem, as he says these things, I, I just want you to notice the, the picture here that Jesus pictures himself and this, this metaphor as a hen. You know, and as, as, a, as a mother hen sees her little chicks there and she sees danger coming, and she wants to sweep them up, protect them from the danger that is about to arrive. And he's saying, that's what I wanted to do with you. And that's what lo- the Lord Jesus wants to do with every person on planet Earth. He says, the danger's coming, the judgment's coming. I would spare you from the judgment to come. But here's the deal. You're not willing. So it's a choice. right? There, there's a choice for people to make. Or are they going to respond to Christ or not? Are they going to submit to him or not? So we'll, we'll close here for today, and we're about to move into a time of worship, but I, but I can't leave us in that place. I need to have a little bit of uplift here. And so by way of conclusion, instead of kind of re-going through some things from my message like I usually do, I just want to share with you something that uh, spoke to me this week. I came across this saying, a guy was talking about his college coach and a saying that his college coach had, and it really impacted me. His college coach would always say to the players, are you a drain or are you a fountain? Are you a drain or are you a fountain? And that really spoke to me because I know that in my own sinfulness, I have been a drain to a lot of people in my life. I know I've been a drain to my parents. I know I've been a drain to my kids. I know I've been a drain to my wife because of my own sinfulness. I understand that. And if we're all honest, we've all been drains to people. But the thing is, we don't have to be. We can be fountains. And and so we can choose that. Well, how do I become a fountain? Well, we submit to the word of God. And what did Jesus say? That the Holy Spirit, right, will come out of you as fountains of living waters. So you and I have a choice. So I'd exhort you as you go out this week to think about, you know, and not to go home and feel sorry for yourself. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying go home and like, well, I got to write to all the people that I've been a drain to my entire life. That's not what I'm leaving you with. What I'm leaving you with, and this is what I've exhorted people over and over again. It's something the Lord's put on my heart. Hey, this is where you are right now. If you need to make restitution, if you need to repent, if you need to, to apologize to people, well, then do that. But don't spend a whole bunch of time saying, well, how did I end up in this place and what happened? Don't do that. Say, today, right now, God's given me the opportunity to be a fountain. God, right now, will fill me afresh with his Holy Spirit if I surrender to him. So that's what I'm encouraging you to do. This world has plenty of drains. I'm encouraging you guys to be fountains. Let's pray.